G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. The likely timing to call the next federal election is perhaps sometime after next week's federal budget. In the lead up to the election, we'll expect to bring some Christian commentary into the integrity of the election process. We'll all go off to the ballot box to elect a federal member in our own electorate in the lower house and we'll be faced with a huge ballot paper for the upper house for the Senate. Well, our next guest has spent many years serving in Christian and conservative political parties and has made several submissions over the years for electoral reform to the Joint Standing Committee on Electoral Matters to fix some of what he calls injustices in our electoral system. Peter Newland, a self-confessed data and evidence nerd, who wants Christians to understand how our preferential voting system works. He's a retired engineer who's applied his analytical talent to our voting system. And joining us today, Peter, welcome along to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Peter, let's just start with uh, the thought that there might be some lack of integrity somewhere in our electoral system and the concern that Christians might have with that. What are your concerns? Well, the main concern is that um, preferential voting is, in my opinion, by far the best system there is. I don't think you can get a better system. But the problem is that we count the votes the wrong way. Now, even when we count the votes exactly following the rules, the rules are incapable of always giving a fair result. Because when an election is very close, which is when it matters most, the counting system is most likely to give errors. Now, in the lower house, it probably doesn't introduce very many errors. Uh, I, I haven't been able to check that yet. But in the upper house, where I have been able to check it in, for example, the recent 2020 ACT um, state election or Australian Capital Territory, it got it wrong in three out of the five last members of the Legislative Assembly for the ACT. It got it wrong. The wrong candidates were elected who, according to the voters' votes, weren't the preferred candidates. They came in at uh, sixth or seventh, and since they only elected five um, representatives per seat, they should not have been elected. And somebody who should have been elected wasn't elected. So where concerns may arise, maybe for all of our short memories back to the last American election, and there were all sorts of questions 
over the integrity of their voting system and some will be concerned that our own electoral system may have some sort of uh, inconsistencies in there too. You're pointing out uh, that sometimes because the counting system is different, uh, there could be a different outcome to what ordinary people intend when they cast a vote. That's right. And what happens is that, um, you know, even if the integrity is perfect in that uh, nobody cheats, nobody does anything wrong, the system of counting can muck it up. But when it comes to um, uh, integrity, there are all sorts of other things that can happen. Uh, If somebody fills in a uh, Senate ballot paper and there are empty boxes on that Senate on that ballot paper, it's quite possible for a corrupt um, counter to just put in an extra one and that ballot paper becomes useless. It is also possible in the scrutineering for those ballots to be interfered with. I've scrutineered many times and I have never, ever been anything other than the very last scrutineer present when they counted the Senate ballot papers. Now, that means that in many cases there will have been no scrutineer present whatsoever when the ballot, Senate ballot papers were first counted. Now, that leaves it open for a corrupt counter to do what they like, change Peter, we might assume that there are experts at the Australian Electoral Commission uh, who work these sorts of things through and in some sense, while there is always some level of uh, human interaction with the voting count, uh, there's always the possibility that someone might be trying to work the system to their own advantage. Uh, You'd like to see that minimised though, wouldn't you? Yes. And we can minimise that by numbering every square, but hey, that's hard work. And, you know, most voters need help and guidance as to how to do that um, properly to meet their, you know, their objectives. Okay, so when we're voting, we're in the ballot box and uh, usually it's a fairly easy system to vote for the House of Representatives because you'll be numbering each square one to however many candidates there are with your preference in number one in in the first preference that you have. But it's this Senate complicated ballot form that we often get bamboozled by and we often will say is it best to vote above the line or fill in every square below the line as you're thinking through that and as Christians who are wanting to maximize the potential of our vote there's all sorts of things can go wrong but what to you is best above the line or below very definitely above the line I examined uh, in detail uh, every pro-life candidate standing for the Senate uh, for the 2019 election and I came to the conclusion that it was absolutely pointless voting below the line. It didn't make any difference. If the candidate that was a good candidate from our Christian point of view was number two or three on their Senate on their party's um, list, then vote above the line. If they were number four or five on the party's list, 
they haven't got a hope of being elected short of a unprecedented miracle. So vote above the line is best. And even though you think, but I'm not going to vote for their num for their number one candidate, they are pro-abortion, pro-legalising marijuana, pro-everything we dislike. But the point is that if you vote um, the way the best way of voting and only vote for the big parties after you've voted for all the good little parties. By the time the good little parties are either elected or eliminated from the count, the first candidate on the big party will already have been elected. So you can make no difference to that. No matter what you do, they will get elected. So don't worry about that. Vote above the line. It's far better. And Bear in mind, I always used to vote below the line. I always advocated it. But when I looked at the evidence, I thought, no, it's not worth it. Okay, so when we're talking evidence, uh, supposing you're a Christian and you're casting your vote, you're tempted because there'll be all sorts of people through the lead-up to the election who will be saying, uh, vote below the line and number every square. And you might be feeling as though when you take that responsibility to do that, uh, one little error can mean that you throw all of your vote into disarray. Is that is that the way you're saying that uh, voting above the line actually keeps you from making those sorts of mistakes that actually upset the whole ballot? It definitely minimises it. So is there an example, Peter, here where uh, you're wanting your party, and let's not even be partisan with this, Uh, there might be some who want to vote for one particular party and not another, but uh, just keeping the integrity of the way you'll cast your vote so that you actually maximise what you intend to happen. Is there a way we can talk about that? Yes, you can maximise the value of your vote and even get better value from your vote than uh, everybody who votes for a major party. Because the strange thing is that Senators 5 and 6 in each state are often elected with less than a quota. So what that means is you can elect Senators 5 and 6 with fewer voters. And how can you do that? Well, you try and, first of all, you preference all of the little parties you think are good and all of the little parties you think are, well, uh, are better than um, the parties, the big parties I detest, then vote for all the big parties and then vote for all of the uh, little parties that you absolutely detest. And that way you get the best chance of electing the strongest of the um, smaller parties that you think are good or acceptable and you have the most chance of keeping the really bad guys out, and you've got a bonus. It is actually a fact that if you vote that way and your little parties don't get in and the big party is still in the race and still trying to get their second or third um, senator, your vote has more than twice as much value to help the big party get in than it does if you voted for the big party directly, number one, right from the first. So we get the best of both worlds. And I call it a best value fail-safe because it's, hey, it's the best chance of 
electing a good guy. And if that doesn't happen, we can uh, we give a hundred percent support to the big party we like if they're still viable. And if that doesn't work, our vote is still there to try and help somebody who's not as bad as the worst of the worst. And hey, you can't get better value. And not only that, because so many other people haven't numbered every box above the line, their votes have exhausted. And so you can elect the fifth or sixth senator with less votes than people took to elect the um, first couple of senators. So it's a win-win situation, I think. This time around, Peter, uh, there are not as many Christian parties who are represented on that form. And uh, it may be even more of a challenge this time getting the right people elected. So for the Christian, taking some level of responsibility here, uh, thinking ahead of time how you are going to vote. So being intentional about your voting. How do you recommend people be intentional and uh, even prepare beforehand? Uh, You must go to the ballot box already prepared. You must have it written out as to... Um, the candidate, the parties above the line are A to you know A, B or some A F or whatever it is above the line. You should have that all written out. So all you have to do is to put the numbers in from left to right. The big thing we have to do is to work out hey, um, which party am I going to give which preference to, and that's where we need to do our homework by um, you know, consulting. There are many organisations that do this sort of thing. There's a Christian Values Checklist. Um, there's various groups uh, who have various sort of stoplight systems where they say that um, on this, we think this is a litmus test for Christian values or a litmus test for something or other else, and we rate these parties um, good, these parties medium, and these parties bad. Now, all of those things are available, and uh, hopefully, um, uh, Neil, you'll be able to help steer those people towards websites where they can check that sort of thing out when we get closer to the election. Well, undoubtedly, when the election is called and the campaign is uh, into full swing, and some will argue uh, the campaign's already happening now, so it's not a bad thing for us to be having a conversation about how our vote will make a difference. And it could be for whatever party you might be intending to vote for. But uh, we'll have another conversation or two like this, Peter. Peter Newland, and I said at the beginning, a self-confessed data and evidence nerd. He's been communicating with me for some years and uh, bringing some insight today around preferential voting. Peter, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with listeners today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.